What's up, oysters? Today, I have a big ask of you. If you could, please pause this episode really quick. We'll be right here when you get back. Go to the podcast app that you're currently using, search for Oyster World Radio, and leave us a rating and review. This helps the show so much as we continue to grow and add very valuable feedback for us so we can continue to make this show better and better and better. Believe me, we'll be here right when you get back, but please leave us a rating review. I thank you in advance. And if you didn't know, every time a review is made, an oyster gets its pearl. Isn't that cute? Enjoy the show. Welcome to Oyster World. Oyster World. Radio. What is up, my Oysters? Hope you're having a killer Wednesday. My name is Nathan Lieberman, and what a day we have for all of you. The first things first, the countdown has begun. In reality, I've realized how low the countdown has actually ticked. 142 days. That's it. 142 days stand between me and the world. Oh my god, we already just passed 150 days. Time is flying. That is not a lot of time. So you can imagine, I have a lot to do. And I'm constantly trying to soak in as much information as possible before I go. And that is what led me to this guy. When I first told you I was moving to Germany, what was your reaction? Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) I was impressed of such a harsh move, I guess. You've heard him before, but I'm not sure you formally met. His name is Julio Zelaya, and he knows a little bit about harsh moves. He has an impressive resume of moving to new places. Nine, to be exact. Starting in Houston, and counting that as the first, Julio then moved to Nicaragua, where he spent his childhood in three different cities. Spent some time in Costa Rica, then moved to New York, New York, then Miami, Florida, then Madison, Wisconsin, and finally Columbus, Ohio. Whew, that's a lot. So he's here to let me know what to expect, what roadblocks I might run into, what his favorite ways of starting in a new city, and much, much more. So stay tuned. And this is a good one. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Julio Zelaya. Pop these bad boys open like we know how to do. Yeah, Luna doesn't get that. And I'm sitting here with Julio's really adorable dog. What's up, Nuna? What are you doing? She's probably also going to be a part of the, Cheers. the interview. You cannot have these. Come on. Down. <laughs> nope, she's in for the interview. She's in the middle. Okay. <laughs> want a beer? You want a beer. Of course you want a beer. You're such a hipster. Mm-hmm. Okay, Julio. So, as I am going and preparing... For Germany, I am realizing how freaking tough it's really going to be. And kind of made that apparent last episode when we talked to Alex and the struggles that he had. So I was like, who else really knows what it's like to go for, to a completely new place, not only to a new place, but not even know the language, and came to you in your crazy nomadic life. Yep. <laughs> so you've moved to nine different places. Nine. Yes, sir. Which is insanity. I can't even wrap my head around it. I've lived in Ohio my entire life. 
and you've moved to nine different places, <laughs> all across <laughs> the U.S. and two different countries. So I really wanted to start there. So we talked a little bit last time, and it seems like, well, first you were born in Houston, correct? and then you moved to Nicaragua. Yep. And you moved a little bit out throughout Nicaragua, but you ended up in Masaya. Yep. And it's probably a little bit different than you are living now. So can you, just for everyone out there, kind of paint a picture of like what it was like? Like what, what was Messiah like that was different from the United States? Messiah is like a very stereotypical Latin American small town. Um, you wake up, you know, it's like chickens are chirping everywhere. Um, chickens are chirping everywhere. Absolutely. Um, you know, like break of dawn, there's like no movement in the city. It's not even a city. Like <laughs> the town is like pretty much a ghost town by 9 p.m. Um, it's very stereotypical, very colonial. I would say tiny in comparison to you know the big picture of like American cities and everything. But for Nicaragua, it's like one of the it's one of the major cities if you want to put it like that. Really? So it was a major city in Nicaragua. Absolutely. But it was almost like a small town for. U.S. standards. Absolutely, absolutely. So you're you're a country boy. I am a country boy, which yeah. is hilarious. Knowing you now, never would have guessed in my entire life that you were born and raised in the country. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It's just interesting that, like, I guess the definition of what country is in terms of like Nicaragua and, and America, it's completely different. I think I was talking with this about Joel. Like, my outdoors were completely different than his outdoors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I just joked around with him. It's like if you were to go in a tent in Nicaragua, I think you were like asphyxiating within like thirty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so camping is not like a big thing in it's, you know in Nicaragua and everything like that. But like going out to the beach and like scuba diving and lagoons and hiking, you know, along volcanoes and things like that. That those were my outdoors. Yeah. So it, what was the? So you say like. Trying to ha- wrap my head around that, someone that's lived in the U.S. their entire life, like you walk outside and you have beaches and volcanoes. Yes. So when you walk outside your house, can you like paint kind of a picture of what it was like to, you know, like what was a typical day in, in, that, in that town? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, so when I was living in Montetabor, which is like an outskirts of Managua, that was like being in a small farm, essentially. Um, you will wake up and... It's closer, it's like higher altitude. So you wake up and it will be like foggy. Mm-hmm. There's like very poor like public like, lumi- like illumination along those areas. So you would have to like wake up like at five in the morning for me like, to get ready for school and everything. It will be like pitch black and things like that. Five in the morning? Yeah. School over there starts at 6.45. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's not that you have to go a, long, a huge long distance. You Correct. Just- School exactly. started at 6.45. Exactly. You just start early and things like that. So I remember some of the images that come to mind, especially is like when there when they were like storms. So there's also like a running joke that in like Nicaragua, there's no seasons. It's only, you know, hot and hotter. Those are the Hot and hotter. Hot and hotter. <laughs> and that's it. Uh, but like I remember specifically thunderstorms in Nicaragua are absolutely amazing. It's just like very tropical strong, you know, like, very quick storms, and there's just, like, flashing lights everywhere. 
And in particular, like in, in you know, like, again, like waking up like five in the morning or something like that, and just listening to everything. They have the roof are made out of zinc. They call it. What's that? So it's like it's like tin material. Okay. So you can clearly hear, you know, like the dripping of the rain All falling the and everything. All the pounding and of the rain. Yeah. It's yeah. It's very like rhythmical and. Yeah, it makes you not want to wake up. <laughs> yeah, oh, <laughs> I can imagine. So it's kind of this almost tropical, in my mind anyway, some kind of like tropical dream of, you know, you have these big storms running through. You can probably see the stars at night. Absolutely. And um, you probably have, like, you because you moved for your family, right? You, you had some family in the town. Yep. And then, so you kind of had your family with you, small community, everyone was really close. Correct. And then, you decided to change it all. <laughs> you went from stars to the lights never turn off. Exactly. When you moved to New York. What an, what, that is a huge jump. And really what I wanted to kind of focus on. Because not only did you go from small rural Nicaragua to New York, you didn't even know English. Yeah, I didn't speak any English. You didn't English. speak any freaking English. So, I remember you were telling me a stat earlier. What was the population... New York is a bigger population than Nicaragua. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, I don't know the exact number, but it's something like Nicaragua. I mean, I think it has like two or three times the population of, of Nicaragua in New York City. And yeah, in comparison of the area, it's minuscule. New York is a tiny fraction of, you know, like the square mileage of Nicaragua. <laughs> Which is insane. So it was, what, two to three times the population of Nicaragua. Absolutely. And you went from maybe having like, a few neighbors to that many neighbors on your floor. Correct. Your apartment <laughs> building. Exactly. Going back to so po- like pre-move, mm-hmm. pre-move you. So you're in this town. You actually had a stint in Costa Rica beforehand. But I had. that was kind of short-lived and everything was kind of part of this huge transition. But did you know anything about New York? Like, what did you know about New York? What did you know about America before you moved back? So it's funny because, like, I had a lot of cousins and friends that growing up, they would just like go to Miami, go to like, you know, come to the United States and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. even though I was born, like I never ventured myself to these areas and anything. Um, honestly, it's, it sounds kind of stereotypical, but it's just kind of like what you see in the movies. Yeah. That was my idea of like New York City. That was my idea of the United States. And I just didn't know exactly what to expect. It was so overwhelming i mean it's just it's just such an idealized perfect like you know stereotypical idea of the united states and you know like the big apple and Mm -hmm. you know if you can make it here here you make it any anywhere you know so um i had a lot of hope you know just like coming here and uh yeah just you know embracing everything with open arms just trying to see you know what opportunities will come along do you know what movies kind of put that impression on you Trying to think. I mean, I remember probably. <laughs> what, what was that movie? Is it The Day After Tomorrow? The Day After Tomorrow? Yeah. The Big Apocalypse? The Big Apocalypse. <laughs> so you're just going in, you're like, well, at least the, if I die, I'm going to die in the Big Apple. Yeah, right? exactly. It was like. <laughs> Not exactly the uh, pulling up by your bootstraps good feeling story that I was expecting, but. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you know, they showed a lot of good shots of New York City. Yeah, awesome. underwater and awesome. freezing yeah, and exactly. with wolves and all kinds of great stuff. So, but the hey, day, you know. so you, you watch the day after tomorrow, and that's one of probably the only exposures to New York that you've had going <laughs> in. 
were off to a good start. You did not know any English, and you had just your grandmother, right? Correct. Was she the only one that lived in New York? Yes. And was that part of why you were going to? Yes, correct. Okay. So, uh, essentially, my dad at the time, he had moved uh, probably like a year or two before us, and he was working in Arlington, Virginia. Okay. So, the idea was... We either move to Arlington or we go to New York City where my grandma is. Um, and ultimately, my parents decided for us to move to New York City just because they thought it would be, like, you know, a better experience for us. And it was a hell of an experience. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, we're, and that is what we're going to next. Okay. So, you, you have this movie picture of New York. You fly there. Yeah. And now you're in the cab Correct. driving to your new home. What the hell is going through your mind? I remember... I, I clearly remember actually that drive into New York. Like you get into the yellow cab, like very New York yellow cab. I remember it was very late. It was probably like one in the morning or something like that when we got in. It was February twenty second, two thousand seven, and I just remember getting off the car, and the first thing that I see is just a huge blob of snow. It hadn't. It had snowed probably a couple of days before, so most of it was molten, but it was gone by the time. But it was like just a huge blob of snow, and it wasn't the first time I had ever seen snow. And so that was the first time you ever seen snow, and yeah. that was the one thing that you really vividly remember. Absolutely. Did you think it was going to be cold? So in New York, I mean, yeah, I was wearing a coat because I knew it was going to be cold, but again, cold for me was absolutely. To give you an idea, we didn't even keep track of temperature in Nicaragua. What? I never knew how to read temperatures in Nicaragua because I never cared. Yeah, because it was going to be hotter, hotter. Exactly. So it's like, yeah, if it's 95 or 98, does it really make a difference? Like, so you, you, know. you come from like that world <laughs> to, I, for everyone that's been to New York, you know that it's cold as shit. Absolutely. <laughs> it can be absolutely freezing. Absolutely. So... So you're getting in this yellow taxi, you see snow, and you're like, oh, that's what snow is. Yeah. That's great. And so what next? Did you, did you talk to the taxi driver at all? Did you? I mean, my, I, I kind of like felt snooze a little bit, you know, on, on, the, way, on the way in. Uh, but um, we got off the taxi, and then we go into my grandma's apartment. And I remember the impression, that, that first impression that I had, she, her, the color of her apartment is just like a super eclectic mix. She had, like, yellow walls and, like, green walls and red. And she's just all over the place. And the other impression that I got is, like, this apartment is tiny. Yeah. Spaces are so, were so much more reduced in comparison to, like, where we were living before. Oh, man, from, like, a, almost a small farm down to a maybe two-bedroom apartment Absolutely. at the most. Yeah, that one was, my, my grandma's apartment was relatively big for New York standards. It was, like, four bedrooms. But still, I mean, the areas were significantly reduced. And you're, you're in an apartment instead of being, like, in a small farm kind of thing. Oh, man. So I can, I can already see kind of how crazy of transition that was. So only, now, yeah, Nicaragua has, like, very, very open, like, the architecture is very open. There's not a whole lot of houses that have, like, AC systems or anything like that. So they're just meant to be, like, designed to be Again, like open spaces so like air can just like flow, you know, there can be a lot of movement and stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now, so now that you're there, you're in your new place. Now what the hell do you do? 
You're basically starting over in a country that you've watched an apocalyptic movie for. Exactly. And you don't know the language. So now what? What did you do? Now it's just like, wow, I'm going to put my shoes on and start walking to New York City. So that was another thing that we we talked about is, and you and me have gotten into some great wanders ourselves. So I know you know how to do it, but... Was this really your first time, especially in a place like this, where you really utilized wandering and you just put your shoes on and get going, or did you have a strategy to it? Or, um, well, like you said, I, th- this was definitely one of the times that I that wandering and just being adventurous in that sense really helped me to just get going, and that's something that I really applied also when I was in Masaya too. I would just grab a bike and just start driving places and going here and go over there and parks and uh, just gather a bunch of friends and go to like different towns, you know, that were like in the vicinity mm-hmm. and stuff. But that's exactly what I did once I get to New York City. Um, my parents knew that I knew how to like fence for myself and just go places and everything. So I was like, okay, you know. They knew that uh, even though I might, be, I might be capable of getting lost, I could also, <laughs> you know, find my barriers and just get back. So, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I did. You know, I just decided I wanted to go visit Times Square. My grandma kind of gave me a quick rundown of how, you know, the city works. It's very um, straightforward. The streets go up and down in numbers, and the names are avenues. And I was like, okay, cool. And uh, I remember I kept walking probably for like 45 minutes, and I eventually reached. So I walked from 78th and Amsterdam all the way down to Times Square. Which and is roughly how far, do you think? That's like 42nd Street is Times Square, so it's 30, 36 blocks or so. Oof. It's a long way. It's New York blocks, too, so it is a long way. Yeah. But it was absolutely astonishing. And, again, coming from a, such a small town and then just being in the middle of the concrete jungle with all these skyscrapers, you know, as far as you are, I can see, was absolutely astonishing. Yeah, what was kind of going through your head? Were you just kind of in awe, like, holy... Because I know when I went to New York, I, I knew about New York. And I was still in complete and utter, like, awe. I couldn't imagine what was going on. Like, do you remember any thoughts that you were having oh, yeah. walking by? I mean, it, it, it was like, it was almost like a dream. Like, it's it's literally like the, the <laughs> like the small town boy in the city, you know? And, and not only that, but it's like a small town boy from a third world country... In the city. It's, again, overwhelming. It's just like one of the first words that come to mind. But I was just elated finding myself. You know, I I felt so gracious to having the opportunity to explore a city so openly. And, like, New York has that aspect that it can just, like, make you feel a New Yorker if you just give it a chance. Yeah, and you, you were almost just given the keys to the city. I couldn't think of a better way to do it. Now, when you said getting lost out and wandering, that is, I believe that's a very key part of wandering is somehow getting lost. But you had a very hilarious example of getting on the subway. Yeah. Was it the first time? So, yeah, so that, that time that I started going to Times Square, I just decided, you know, I know that the Macy's on 34th Street is around here. So I decided, you know, 42nd, 34th, it's not too far from here. 
So I kept walking. However, little did I knew that, little did I know, I guess, it was just that the Macy's is on the east side and Times Square is on the west side. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I didn't know. So I reached 34th and I was like, it's not here. It must be like further down. And I ended up in like 14th Street, like Soho area. So like that was pretty much like downtown. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm just going to hop on a train. And <laughs> I literally just got, I don't even know what I was thinking now. I was just got in a train and hop in a train and somehow I ended up in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, wait, wait. So you're hopping on the train and you're just like watching the stops tick by. Right? But you didn't know English. No. So, like, what, what was the connection that was made? Like, what, what did you do? So, what, I knew something was wrong when I just kept hearing uh, the names of streets uh, because there were names and not numbers. Uh-oh. That's when I knew it was like, something's wrong. Could you, could you, like, pick it out, too? Well, obviously, like, numbers first names, right? But Correct. If someone was saying that really fast in German, I don't know if I would be able to pick it up that quickly. So were you even able to, like, putting it together but not sure? Like, how did he even get out of that situation? So I guess not only was it, I mean, I knew that I was going to, I I was looking for, like, a number and a street. And now these were names and avenues. And I was like, okay, something's clearly wrong. And then I, I also knew that I was looking for the red line. Which now I know is the one, two, three trains. But at the time, I was like, where are the red lines? And I just saw this gray one. I was like, right. again, I don't know what I was thinking. I just, I just thought trains will take me to more trains. And that's right if you know where to make the connections. Right. I just hop in a train. I was like, okay. <laughs> and I remember I got lost in the L train. And that ended up being the same train that I had to take for years to go to high school. Eventually. Really? Mm-hmm. So your first experience with a train that you would take for a majority of your time in Absolutely. New York, you got lost in immediately. Yep. That is, that's so funny. Uh, <laughs> so eventually you, you stopped. Like, what was the realization moment like? Can you, can you tell me like, what your reaction was? You're like, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm going the complete opposite direction. It was definitely an ocean moment, but I had no idea where I was going. Yeah. I had no idea where I was going. It was just a matter that there is a point that you leave you leave Manhattan and you start going into Brooklyn and it's kind of like you can feel it that you go like under the river and it's like a slightly longer path to get between the stations. Uh-huh. So I just remember feeling the train just accelerated and I was like, this is, there's something clearly wrong here. And I got off the, the next street, or the next stop actually, and then... <laughs> I had some quarters with me, and I was like, the first thing that I memorized was my, my grandma's uh, number. So I called her as soon as I could, and I was like, Grandma, I think I'm lost. And she's like, oh, so where are you? I was like, I think it, was like, it says like Grand Avenue in Brooklyn. And she's like, what are you doing there? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I started walking. I got lost. And, this and I was like, okay. And she just explained to me how to get back home and everything, and it was... So funny. <laughs> so you, you didn't even have a cell phone. Oh no, God no. Cell phones. Absolutely not. Dude, you just happen to have enough change to be able to call your grandma. Mm-hmm. And way to stay calm under pressure. <laughs> I give you that. I probably would have been freaking out, not knowing what the hell was going on. And 
Yeah, if you didn't have coins, what were you going to do? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> so for everyone listening out there, always bring change. You never know when you're going to need it. Absolutely. <laughs> it comes in handy. <laughs> okay, so you had a pretty eventful first week, we'll say. Yeah. Pretty eventful. But was there, so obviously this is a big transition. So was there any really dark times? Was there some, some days that you know that really sticks out in your mind that was really hard? I mean, learning the language was definitely one of the tougher ones. It was actually, sometimes it was a little frustrating. When I was in Nicaragua, I had, taking, I had taken chemistry and physics already. So I knew the basics and everything. And they put me in some, again, you know, physics one and two kind of thing, you know, when I was in high school back in New York City. But I remember that going through, like, I would understand the concepts and the formulas and everything. But I remember struggling with, like, for example, reading through my textbook and then just getting stuck in the word, like, however. Like, I would read something and it's like, what's however? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, my challenge is not even understanding the, the, not even the scientific concepts. Yeah. Is under, it's trying to just get through the language barrier to understand it. So at times I was frustrating, but I remember, like, for example, my history professor... Ironically enough, she really helped me a lot because some of her, her assignments were just like write down like concepts that we would find in, in our in our textbook and stuff like that, and they were like extra credit and things like that. So that really helped me just you know get acquainted with learning how things are used and it, everything was just literally just having like a Spanish English dictionary next to me whenever I was reading and everything like that. You think that really helped? Absolutely. Just for the one-off words, like however, to kind of look up when you're getting stuck. Correct. Yeah, like it, it, once I once I read it, so for example, I would say like however, it means sin embargo in Spanish. I was like, oh, that's what this means. Oh, okay. And, then and whenever I kept say, seeing it, it's like, oh, now, now I know what this means. Definitely thinking in a different language is very challenging. Really? Just, yeah. Oh, tell me more about that. So, I mean... Especially Spanish and English, they have such different, like, syntax constructions. The way the words, the, the, the words are, like, organized in a sentence are completely different. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I will have to, like, think in Spanish and literally, like, translate the sentence into English mm-hmm. for me to communicate. And you get good at it. Like, you get practice and it becomes almost seamless when you start, like, thinking in English and just formulating your, your thoughts in English. But in the process, you say a lot of stupid shit. <laughs> <laughs> and that's going to happen. You're just going to be able to do and say stupid stuff, you know? <laughs> I remember just telling one of my friends, she was Ukrainian, and she had gone to, like, Mexico for, like, over spring break or something like that. And she came back, and she was 10. But at the time, I just saw her, and I was like, you look so brunette <laughs> and she was blonde she's like what are you talking about and it's like you know your skin it's like oh you mean tan and i was like you knew yeah, what i wanted I to say yeah, I <laughs> yeah i'm sure you ran into the into that a lot was was there um <laughs> what about the beginning when you first started learning what was your experiences interacting with other people because i'm sure 
I get in my brief experience in Germany trying to put together German sentences just was not happening. It was just not happening. Luna and Luna currently is trying to eat my pen out of my hand. Hello, puppy. Puppy, And Leo just throws her off the couch. She's adorable. Play with this. She just wants to be part of the interview. Absolutely. <laughs> so if you were if you were talking to Luna and just learning to speak dog, uh, what was that experience like at the very beginning? Because yeah, like I was saying, <clears throat> the brief experience I had in Germany was in my my standards against my own ego, like catastrophic. I can barely form anything and except maybe I don't understand and my German sucks. I learned <laughs> how to say that very well. So what what was like how did you get past that point since this is well your new life. You have to. Yeah. I do have to say I the fact New York City helped me in multiple ways. One of the things was like having a couple of friends that would speak Spanish. And kind of, oh, like, rely okay. on them a couple of times, like, in certain, like, social aspects and things like that to help me understand, you know, what was trying to be communicated to me. Because at times, people would just, will try, they'll be patient and repeat things to you. But if you don't understand it, it doesn't matter if they repeat it to you five times. Right. You're not going to understand it. Yeah. Um, I do remember clearly also, like, being, like, walking down the street with my parents and things like that, and we would, like, bump into, like, neighbors and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I could follow, like, basic conversation, like, hi, how are you? You know, how school, little things like that. But when they started formulating longer, very basic, you know, but for me, it was just, like, longer sentences. I was just completely overwhelmed, and my parents would have to, like, translate for me. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, they're saying, you know, like, this, this. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, but... Yeah, was there like a turning point then, or was it just kind of repetition, repetition, repetition? It is repetition. It's just like trial and error, you know, trial and error. You like, uh, I do have to say, people are very patient, and they just, when they want to help you, you know, they will go out of their way, you know, and try to uh, complete your sentences if they feel that they understand what you're trying to say, and, you know, just help you out like that. And that was certainly something that, again, I guess just the tolerance that exists in New York City uh, really helped, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I'm trying to prepare myself for that transition, too, by learning as much as I can over here. But I just know that it's unavoidable. It's literally unavoidable. So you had, you had your parents translate for you. Had, you found a couple people that were able to translate back and forth. So maybe I can find some expats in my situation. You had the, the dictionary, the Spanish to uh, English dictionary. Was Correct. there any other tricks that, that you had, do you think of? Or like how would you approach something that you did if someone was speaking to you and was way too fast? Did you do you have a couple tricks that you used to be able to communicate with them? Like, oh, slow down, man. Yeah, nothing. Exactly. So, I mean, absolutely. Like, you know, I think it's just being. It takes courage to show that you're vulnerable in multiple ways. So sometimes you just gotta, like you're saying, you know, like you gotta tell them to slow down, or can you repeat that, or you know, I don't understand, like. If someone's trying to communicate with you um, and you say, like, hey, look, 
I don't I don't get what you're saying. They can try to reformulate this, the same sentence and communicate the same idea in simpler terms. And that can definitely help you. Sometimes, you know, just like, especially with those expats that you're saying, in my case, you know, I found like some Ecuadorians, some Colombian friends. Um, I would just ask them, you know, like, what was that that you said over here, you know? And like, they'd just be like, oh, that means this, this, and that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Maybe so, you catch this word this time and that word this exactly, time and that word this time. Exactly. And it's just things that uh, submersion will absolutely help you. And it's just being willing to throw yourself out, out there, you know. I feel that also being a teenager and that, weirdly enough, um, I was a teenager that really didn't care about, like, how I was perceived and things like that. I just felt that, you know, I just felt like, okay, you know, like, I don't, I need to learn. I want to learn. And I really don't care if people think that I'm being, that, that I sound pathetic, that I sound different or whatever. Uh, you know, it is what it is, you know, so they mm-hmm. either will help me communicate, help me understand, and we'll understand each other, and that's it, you know? Yeah, and you pretty much had to, to survive. I do have to say, though, another thing that is also useful is the fact that if, you've, if you can find expats that don't share a language with you, and you have to talk in German, in your, in your example, mm-hmm. that would also help you. Because then it's like a bunch of people that have like that common goal and would just help, try to help each other understand things. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that you probably were in this situation as well. It, it, if you, a lot of your friends didn't speak Spanish. Yeah. And just like trying to, all of them came together, you would say, to yeah. be like, okay, let's try to figure out a way to communicate to this kid. Correct. Finding an understanding group. Is definitely helpful. <laughs> I can definitely imagine. So, here we are. You're now in Columbus after stops in Miami, Madison, and now here. Yep. So, you kept on going, yes. of course. <laughs> you didn't stop with New York. Like, I got to keep going and see more places. So, looking back, so you started in a rural town in Nicaragua, for our standards anyway. Yeah. You moved to New York, the biggest city ever. Jesus. And then you kept going, and you've seen some other cities around the U.S. What do you think the, the biggest difference was, looking back at yourself, too, between pre-New York Julio, post-New York Julio, and then even now, after even four more moves? So, post-New York Julio, I feel that I was independent but I didn't have a good grasp on, like, my identity. Moving to the United States really give, like, expanded, uh, gave me, like, a different breadth of, like, who, like, Julio Celaya was in the grand scheme of things. I was labeled differently. And I don't mean necessarily in a, in a bad way. It was just certain societies will label you in different ways, you know, so... Um, when I was in Nicaragua, there were like certain labels, but I was a Nicaraguan. When I came to the United States, now, now you're like, you're a Hispanic. And even though that may be like obvious now, when you're first confronted with that concept, it just puts a different perspective in your identity. 
So I think like post New York Julio, you know, it, it's it's a person that understands better understands his place in the universe and in this world and in society. Um, again, I don't mean this like in a condescending way mm-hmm. or that these labels make me feel more or less or anything. It's just, again, I just have a better grasp of my identity as a human being. Mm-hmm. The different moves in general, even from like starting, even from like Houston and everything, just learn to appreciate each place for what it is and give up comparing different places and trying to understand if this place is better than the other or anything like that. Um, and I think that is part of why I have been able to enjoy f- so fully every place that I go to. It's just because I don't try to look for New York City in Miami and I don't try to li- find Miami in Madison and I don't try to find Madison in Columbus. I enjoy Madison for what it is and I enjoy Columbus for what it is. And when I'm in Miami, I enjoy Miami for what it is. You know, Each place has different things to offer. Each place has different things that it lacks. Every place is going to be like that. Um, but if you try to replace or you try to force a certain place onto another, you're going to be miserable. Um, and you just have to be aware of that. And it's easy to fall into that trap. You know, you're going to miss things when you're in a foreign place. Be in a different city or mm-hmm. be in a different country. Be in a different continent if you want, you know. Mm-hmm. Cultures is something very that, that you attach yourself and it's part of your identity, very ingrained in you. Um, and you're going to miss it, but... Moving to different places allows you to, again, get a different understanding of and appreciate other places for what they are. That is well said, man. And that's everything that I hope to find and do. And I know that you are an amazing example of a nomadic human that has moved many times. So cheers, buddy. Cheers, man. Thanks for coming on the show. This was awesome, as usual. If Absolutely. you guys want to find more of Julio, where can we find you? Well, you can contact me with uh, Julio Zelaya, J-U-L-I-O. My last name is Yezin Zebra, E-L-A-Y-A, underscore 92 at Hotmail. Yeah, contact this guy. He's got a lot of amazing experience, and I'm so glad that he was able to share with some of that with us today. We're going to finish drinking these beers and playing with his various animals <laughs> around the heaven, causing chaos around his home. Till next time, I will see you guys later. Thank you once again, Julio Zelaya, for coming out on the show. And not only did those beers taste so good, I learned a hell of a lot. Biggest takeaway for me was that a lot of learning comes after you put your ego to the side. And Julio is a master of this. When he was learning English, he wasn't afraid to sound dumb. When he was wandering, he wasn't scared to get lost and ask for help, or even carry around an English to Spanish dictionary. I think the results speak for themselves. You can hear it. I know I and many other people struggle with putting their ego to the side, so that's something I really need to work on before I go. So I'm asking you, my audience, do you guys have any suggestions? Contact me. Let's make up some challenges, break a few barriers, and I'll even put it on the show. So contact me at Nathan at OysterYourWorld.com. You can find me on Twitter at Nathan Oyster. Tweet me some challenges or shoot us a message on our website at OysterYourWorld.com. That's OysterYourWorld.com. Special thanks once again to Charlie Milken for the wonderful music. 
Check him out on Spotify or his website, charliemilken.com. Check out the episode description for the link. Thanks for tuning in to our attempt to make ourselves and the world a better place. And until next time, hit me with that soul music, Charlie. I can't take control of my life If I'm too busy looking at the stars And thinking about our time that's gone by It's time for a change in my day-to-day scene Time to turn around from that clock Face the mirror and change